HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Now streaming from HRN, this is The Feed Feed. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Occasionally joined by our co-founders, Julie and Dan Resnick, we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm. So we often say that we're, as Feed Feed, answering the sort of age-old question, which is, what do we eat for fill-in-the-blank, breakfast, lunch, dinner? Our approach to doing so involves lifting up voices from culinary content creators all over the world, no matter how big or small their following is. This podcast takes the democratization of food media one step further by giving a behind-the-scenes look of the Epicurean magazines, websites, videos, and accounts you digest every day. We'll discuss everything from breaking into the industry, navigating social media. That's been my bigger social media thing is like, I think like I just get bored very quickly. And even when things are working really well, I'm like, everyone's doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Building and growing community. People are like, why is it five E's? And I'm like, I don't know. When you say eat, how many E's does that feel like it sounds like? And that's why. No real good rhyme or reason to any of it, but that's also kind of been our style this whole time and producing content that resonates with young and old. You know, if someone doesn't like my writing or the photographs of my book or the design, that's subjective. But if I see that a recipe didn't work, then I really failed someone. So whether you want to know what goes into food styling a magazine cover, the process of getting a cookbook deal, understanding what the hell TikTok is, or grasping how a recipe can go viral. I mean, I guess the thing about going viral, too, is that um, then it becomes it's out there and and people start claiming it as their own. And that's happened a few times recently with that tart, which is sort of depressing. Mm, but... Drag them. <laughs> Name names. I'm not naming no. any names, but you know who you are. <laughs> we'll be covering it all. This is the Feed Feed Podcast. Subscribe to the Feed Feed wherever you get your podcasts. This is Elena Santagade, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm just jumping in ahead of today's episode to let you know that today, Cutting the Curd will be hosted by Kara Warren, the newest addition to our team of hosts here on the show. 
Kara will be joining me, Erin, and Diane as part of the Cutting the Curd family, and we're really excited to have her on board. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Kara Warren, and today's guest is Sam Frank of Yumi and Paul of Yumi, special guest as well. Surprise. 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 Um, <laughs> Sam, Paul, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you so much, Kara. I just want to tell you that we are so honored that you uh, have allowed us to share your very first inaugural episode of Cutting the Curd with you. So thanks for having us. Guys, did you hear that first effing episode? I'm so stoked. Um, These guys are two of my favorite people in the business. And uh, Yumi has not been profiled before on Cutting the Curd. So I thought, let's break this cherry with that. Uh, (laughs) Let's... (laughs) <laughs> Paul just winced, by the way. You guys can't see this in the studio here, but there was a lot of, of painful a wince. A lot of wincing. There's going to be a lot of, you know, I actually, I like this arrangement because as a duo, I can already see how this, this business pairing works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The yin and yang. I like exactly. that very much. So let's get this straight. Um, it's not Jumi, it's Yumi. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Okay, good. Um, you know, I always say to people, it's like you and me, Yumi. Yes, yeah. good, excellent. And what is, where does it all begin? Like, is it a cooperative? Is it a, like, explain to me just the, the little bit of the business background on everything here. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I always, it is uh, sometimes a little bit challenging in terms of how do we define Yumi exactly. Um, it's an interesting model of both being a cooperative creamery in the Emmental region of Switzerland. Uh, then they're also affineurs, so they're selecting cheeses from other cheese producers in Switzerland, bringing them to their facility, aging them, and then adding that to their catalog. And then they also just straight up select cheeses from producers that they're also bringing in to the catalog. So you know the farmers, the affineurs, you know all of these so people you, on the chain. Yes. So, I mean, Yumi, it was so, as... The, the business Yumi was started in 2006. I was going to ask you that. How long ago? Okay. Yeah, so we're still a fairly young business. Um, the two guys who founded it, their names are Jurg and Mike. So uh, there you go. There's the story of the name, Yumi. I love the names. Um, and they, are, they were childhood friends from the Emmental region of Switzerland. So they both grew up right outside of Bern, which is the capital city of Switzerland. Um, and Jurg comes from a farming background. His family, they... Uh, they kept dairy cows, they kept meat animals, they had fruit trees. Um, and then Mike is from a cheesemaking background. So he is the fifth generation in a family of cheesemakers. Um, and so when they, they decided to launch this business, they were both in their late 20s. Uh, Mike had just finished his, uh, his like, dairy cheese science technician degree. And Jurg had, been, uh, had spent some years working as a regional produce buyer for Migros, which is like one of the two main co-op chains in Switzerland. Oh, wow. Uh, And they just decided that they were going to start this business together, selling cheeses from Mike's family. And then, uh, little known here in the the United States, the the other half of the business is beef. So Jurg got really interested in... Wait, pause. You said beef. That's the other half of the business. Okay, secrets out. Okay, go on. Secrets out. Uh, so yeah, Jurg was really into Piedmontese cows, which is uh, from Piedmont. They're a, they're a breed, a traditional beef breed from Piedmont. They're a double muscle breed, so they have a lot of meat 
and Heck. very, very little fat. Okay, so mm. I want to bring this back to cheese now because <laughs> that was that's amazing. I love it. Um, how many cheeses are you guys selling in your portfolio right now? What, how many different types of Alpine style cheeses are you selling? Well, so in here in the United States, uh, in terms of like straight up Alpine styles, we've got four that are like our bread and butter regular lineup. We will always have these four cheeses. Okay, cool. Um, and then. In terms of like what we regularly have available year round, it's it's eight cheeses. So we're doing alpines. We also have like semi soft and semi firm washed rinds, uh, and then we have like some more um, uncharacteristic cheeses, shall we say, as well. Sexy. Um, Belper canola, which I was going to talk about at some point. I was going to say but, top three children. What would they be? Uh, Schlossberger. Okay. Um, so Schlossberger is is really it's our flagship cheese. So it's like. The cheese that we want to be ubiquitous with Yumi. Okay. Um, and then Belper Canola is definitely, uh, I would say... Uh, not Belper Cannoli. Not Cannoli. So German, I mean, German's <laughs> a very phonetic language. And as far, my, as far as I know, E's are not pronounced like they are in English. They're like eh sounding. So it's like Belper Canola. Excellent. Yeah. I need a German lesson. Yeah, yeah. Well, There's then, no way I'll say this correctly. Well, otherwise. then the more, the more complicated factor of it is that, you know, we're from Switzerland, so it's not high German, it's Swiss German, which sounds completely different. Oh, so this is, a, this is another difference maker. Another difference maker, Within yes. your, so... Wait, hold we, on. Wait, oh, there's more. Sorry, Num- Number three. Number Pardon, three. Pardon yeah, moi, so, everyone. So I would, I would have to give that one to, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I would say Aravasser is... Uh, oh. Um, that's our semi-soft washed rind, and it's a, you know, we only do raw milk, or in the case of our softer cheeses, thermized milk cheeses. Um, Aravasser is a raw milk cheese with raw cream added to it, so it's a double cream washed rind, and it is super decadent. That sounds delicious. Does it mean underwater? No, so the Ada... <laughs> See, I tried to give some fact. That wasn't a fact. Well, va- Vasser does mean water. Okay, I was and, close. And uh, the Ada is the name of the river that runs through the part of Switzerland where we are. And it's a tributary of that river that actually feeds their creamery. Um, so technically speaking, you know, it's a washed rind cheese. So it is getting washed. Uh, you know, they make a brine from the water of the Ada. Don't worry, it's filtered, of course, but uh, and treated. But is yeah, it, so it's so it's. A, is it really okay? <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Sam. They will try to make you swim in it. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. If you ever come and visit, you are going. Well, if you're visiting in the summer, you will absolutely go for a dip in the Otter. Well, I'd love to visit Switzerland. I've never been, so I'll keep it on my uh, notepad. You should. Um, Next time you're in France, make a little a quick. A quick over. stop. Yeah, I'll just run across uh, the France Alps. and uh, <laughs> the Alps, and yeah. it's no problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very cool. So, Sam, you've been in the business a little while now. You worked for Crown Finish Caves. You've worked with Parashel. You've worked with a lot of American producers. What do you think some of the challenges are for you since you've switched to the European side? Yes. So it's interesting because it's definitely, you know, everything poses uh, challenges. And so it's interesting the, the different sort of challenges that uh, we can sometimes face. I think, you know, for me, at least from from the beginning, the the one that really stood out was you know, it's 2020 in this day and age. Like local really sells, and you know, coming from working with you know artisanal American cheese producers, we kind of always had that local edge. Um, and even I, you know, personally, I feel like even with a lot of the competition out on the market, there's still big room for local cheeses. 
And then it just seems like when it comes to the imported European cheeses, it's a little bit more competitive. And, you know, there's relationships that have been around for a really, really long time because, you know, imported cheese was, was selling here, you know, well before this burgeoning American artisan cheese industry really, you know, took over. Um, and, you know, and I think the, so the relationships go back a lot, a lot longer, you know, and there were, you know, there was also just a lot of really great specialty cheeses from Switzerland coming in when, you know, when we were trying to break into the scene. So I think the biggest challenge for us is getting our foot in the door. And do you feel like logistics and price when you're in the market, are those uh, challenges for you guys as well? With the versus the American stuff, uh, how does that how does that vibe for you guys? I mean, this is where it comes into the game a lot, and uh, I'm curious. What are what are your thoughts? Well, jump in. Do you want to jump in, Paul? Sure. Um, I would say like the logistics are definitely very different, just because uh, we're moving uh, cheese across the sea. So I mean, and international borders. And international borders. Um, there's all sorts of things, you know, uh, Sam and I both came from uh, locally produced cheeses or cheeses from Vermont or ha- what have you. And it, that was just loading cheese sometimes into a van and driving it to New York City. You sold stuff off a truck? Is that what I'm hearing, guys? Uh, <laughs> I, no, I'm well, just kidding. <laughs> Paul, Paul was uh, running markets in the city for a long time. Yeah. Oh, dirty. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> he lived out of a cooler in a van. Oh, my God. Um, you heard it here first, guys. Cutting the curd. <laughs> At cutting the curd. At Kara Warren. I was the street monger. At Yumi. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Paul was the street monger of New York City. Oh mm. yeah, I, that's true. I've heard that this history about you, Paul. Title. Do do you take uh, do you take that title? <laughs> uh, no, someone else holds it now. <laughs> oh my god! Good All on right. him. Good All on right. him. All right, never mind. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's you know you you do raise a really uh, interesting point, Kara. That the logistics it, it is so different. Um, it is it is pretty interesting to me that just when you're comparing like imported European cheese versus artisanal American cheese. It's just like, you know, the, the cost of production in the United States are so drastically higher that when you're like bringing this cheese over from Europe and then you're adding on all of these transport costs that don't exist in the United States and then you're adding on all of the customs costs, which also don't exist for the cheese in the United States. By the time it's like ready to sell in the United States, it's like at the same price as artisanal American cheeses, you know. So it's, it's interesting how cheese is, is so much cheaper uh, in Europe than it is over here. Which creates a lot of challenges and chaos in the market. I love American cheeses, but European cheeses are just as great. And I feel like they they sometimes get the back end of the market, which isn't cool, but yeah. that's an opinion. Yeah. Uh, guys, we're going to take a short break right now and come back with Sam Frank and Paul. Uh, just hold tight, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, 
Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. My name is Kara Warren. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Sam and Paul of Yumi Cheese. And uh, we're going to get back into some more fun with them. And I guess I'm kind of interested now to find out. We kind of hit upon the, uh, the differences of Alpine cheeses in the market. But when you're pitching to, to a customer or distributor, what... Um, how do you distinguish your cheeses against the other Alpine cheeses in the market? We, we mentioned the Swiss, the German Swiss factor, sure. but like what else can you say? Cause I mean, there's a lot of aged cow's milk cheeses out there. Absolutely. Your, your cheese is raw milk. Yep. All of them are raw milk. They're all raw except for the, the soft ripened cheeses are thermized. Of course. But even thermized. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, everything's got to be... Anything that we want to bring into the United States has to be 60 days of age prior to export. You lucky bastard, you. <laughs> Not everyone gets that pleasure. I um, yeah. I don't know if I'd call it a pleasure, but, you know, sh- sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, so when you go into those meetings or to the customers and the cheese counters... Right. The cheesemongers, what is... Uh, how, do you, how do you say to them, like... This is my cheese. This is why we, we should have, you should have my cheese. Like, well, I mean, have you ever tasted our cheese, Kara? You know, this is a battle. I, I have had, <laughs> I don't work on a cheese counter anymore, so I get left out a little bit. Um, we will have to wrestle open. There's some samples in the studio, yeah, we might everyone. Yeah, we might be eating some um, cheese in here. I, I want to try this dank cheese. I, I want to know about it. Paul's wrestling with it, guys. If yeah. you hear the crinkle crackle, yeah. we're, we're going to eat some cheese soon. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I mean, that. So, I mean that, so the cheese that, that Paul's popping open over here is Schlossberger, the one I mentioned before. Uh, that's really the Yumi flagship cheese. And I think, you know, what really sets us apart is we come from Switzerland. Uh, you know, so Switzerland, which is a country very deeply in, ingrained in cheese tradition, um, and they also had uh, a pretty um, strong arming regulatory agency that dominated the industry throughout the 20th century that kind of uh, led Switzerland to, to the cheese culture that we know of it today. Um, and so... You know, everyone, the cheeses of Switzerland, you can basically count them on two hands, you know, the traditional AOP cheeses, and that's really what our country, what Switzerland is known for. Sure. Um, you know, so this is a cheese called Schlossberger. Our other Alpine cheeses are Apresole, Cirone. Uh, these are not cheeses that people have tasted before. These are not the traditional AOP cheeses that are made all over the country. These are original family recipes from Mike's family. You can only get them from us. Uh, and we are the single producer of these cheeses. So interesting. So right now, I'm holding it in my hand. It has a semi-firm texture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beefy, oniony, brothy aromas. I get that. Washed rind. Smell that. Definitely danky. <laughs> on on, on um, wood so, boards. Everything's aged on wood boards. I mm-hmm. expect. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the young, not the alt. Okay. Right. So this is. So that means to young. clarify, young. Okay. Sorry, I've only studied French. English is a Germanic language, so okay. there's a lot of similarities. And yeah. yeah so the young is about. Uh, it's usually between five and six months of age. Okay. And there's a large format Alpine, like a full wheel, is sixty-five to seventy pounds. Do you sell your customers a sixty-five pound wheel? Some of them, yeah. Really. Um. So like this cheese, we we regularly offer it in full wheels and quarter wheels. Get the hell out of here. Okay, yeah. you guys are, are serious. All right, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take a bite. Hang on. 
And then uh, now, now Paul is working on the uh, getting open the Schlossberger Alt, which is the same cheese but the old version, so it's aged more like 16 months. So it's typically like 10 to 12 months older than the young. So it definitely has classic Swiss. Um, you got the kind of oh, salt, a little salt at the end, very fruity. Oh, 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 Paul. There we go. I'm staying on mic, guys. Okay, I got that cheese. Um, so salty, kind of sweet, caramel factor. Um, I'm not going to say nutty because I fucking hate that word. And I use the <laughs> F-bomb largely on that because too many people use that word. It mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. Stop using nutty. I mean, you have to, you have to, but no. All right. Your mimolette is so nutty. No. <laughs> Shut well, You can always specify the nut. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to say mimolette has an umami flavor. All mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, we can talk about Mimolet another time. This is Yumi's episode, but anyway. Um, okay, now I'm going to the age version, and this is how many months now are we talking? 16. Yeah. 16. Average 16. 16 month profile, yeah. Wow. And the name again? Schlossberger. Schlossberger. Okay, yeah. I'm like a baby. You got to teach me. <laughs> you, gotta, you know, we're talking about a lot of Swiss cheese. The names are tough sometimes. Well, sometimes. some of them are also Swiss French names, so you'll have an easier time with those. My favorite Merci. name mm-hmm. recently is the Oppenberger Muchli, mm-hmm. which is to write out is about a 27 letter long word. Yeah, it's really great to see it on cheese signs in a cheese case. <laughs> I'll tell you, going to Germany once in Berlin, traveling there. Don't try to memorize those names. There's just like the entire alphabet on a sign. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think the longest words in written language are in German because they just will combine many, many words to form a single word. A fact from Sam Frank. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do not, um, you know, quote me Wait, on that. Wait, I, I want to I talk about this older Swiss cheese here. Mm-hmm. Schlossberger. Schlossberger. Um, I'm trying to figure out. It's got almost like a slight kick in it. Mm-hmm. It's got the oniony situation going on as well. Um, but there's something extra there, and I don't know how to describe it. What do you guys say? Like I, I it, it's like it's a, a little funky. It's funky. Yeah, just it's just a funky, funky alpine. I was gonna say like a wet something, but mm-hmm. I don't know. That sounds terrible, <laughs> and I'm on the air saying that. I mean, but I don't know. Sometimes you get that kind of like pleasant jockstrap sort of thing going on. Wow! You know? Oh my yeah. goodness! <laughs> <laughs> All right. but like in a good oh way. God. So we're way. gonna be a very inappropriate <laughs> cutting the curd in the future. Right. I'm sorry to all of you <laughs> listeners who are used to uh, nice pleasantries. Yeah, put the um, kids to bed. Put the kids to bed. Um, yeah, okay, jockstrap. I haven't had jockstrap in my mouth, but I am going to say <laughs> <laughs> this is delicious. Okay, great. Yeah. Then, uh, so, you know, now you've, you've I got, got you the on the air saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's excellent. <laughs> I mean, and so that, you know, and you were speaking before about, like, you know, what, what makes our Alpine cheeses stand out. But then there's also, like, we just sell cheese that is totally unique to a place like Switzerland, like the Belpricanola, which we were talking about before. So wait, can you describe that, too? Because if everyone doesn't know, it looks like... Like um like a little gift actually yeah to me. yeah it yeah. comes packaged uh, in a little white cloth um, and then you open it up and it looks like a truffle so we also like to lovingly refer to it as the poor man's truffle um, and that's because it both looks like one but you also kind of use it in the same way so the cheese is super unusual um, this one comes from one of our partner creameries which is actually operated by Mike's uncle Peter Glauser. And uh, Peter works with two dairy farms that are in his village. And he's, he runs an amazing cheese shop in the village of Belp. And then he's got these two dairy farms where he gets milk. Village of Belp? Yeah, the village is called Belp. Wow. Yes. Okay, that is uh, Very perfect. Swiss. Yes. yes. Uh, so um, he just works with two dairy farms, so he's a teeny tiny operation. 
because um, both farms average uh, milk, milking 20 cows. And um, so the Belper canola is actually a lactic cheese. So it starts out as a fresh lactic curd cheese. And then uh, they mix in Himalayan salt, fresh alpine garlic. They roll the whole thing into a ball. And it's about the size of a baseball at this point in time. They oh, coat cool. it with crushed black pepper. And then it spends about three months. Uh, and it's in a cheese aging environment, but with way lower humidity than your typical cheese cave. Because you really want that moisture. You want to be pulling the moisture out of the cheese. So it goes from like the size of a baseball to about three months later, the size of a golf ball. And so then you've got the flavors are super concentrated, very picante. You don't want to eat this cheese. Like you don't want to just like cut a hunk of this and eat like eat it straight up this is something that you want to again like think of it like a truffle you want to grate it or shave it into you know pasta salad pizza risotto eggs you know anything savory essentially it's like cacio e pepe in a cheese paul did you want to say something real quick i mean i'll eat it whole okay yeah yeah okay okay so i mean you know you come home from a long day at the yumi salt mine uh (laughs) you have a little um a campari based uh beverage of some sort of bitter and you just chunk up a little bit of this lactic hard cheese that's really dry and it just pairs so nicely with um you know like an old pal or or something like that yeah, damn and fine cheese. I like this. I mean, I was gonna a, say you can't make out with someone after you no, eat this cheese, not. but uh, but it's also you guys are changing my mind with that drink pairing. Okay. Oh yeah, and it's I mean it's cool too. It you know this is a cheese that will literally outlive us all. It's got like half the moisture content of Parmigiano Reggiano. Ah, so shelf life is long. Shelf life is forever. Get out of Dodge, because yeah. I thought when you said lactic set, I said, oh that poor soul, yeah, that cheese is gonna die everywhere. Nope. Okay. I mean the only like. In some occasions, if it's if it hasn't been packaged totally correctly, then it can start to grow some mold on the outside, which you know just scrape it off. Cheese professionals know is no yeah, problem. That's fine. Um, but and then once you have started to grate or shave your belt brick canola, you just need to make sure that you leave it well covered. Like I have one just on my counter permanently in a tiny jar. So a jar will work. Tupperware, Ziploc bag. On your bag. kitchen counter, not at the office next to the laptop. Oh, well, you know, I mean, we've always, we've always got an open Belper canola at the office. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it never needs to be refrigerated. It just, you just want to keep it well sealed so that it doesn't dry out too much. Because it can dry out to the point of being, you know, too hard to grate or shave. Are you talking about Sprints and Ativas right now? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke for the mongers out there. Um, so I'm curious, if you had a dream cheese to make, let's like, you know, we're in 2020. I'm thinking future time. Sure. Is there uh, a dream cheese you're developing right now, or uh, is it under the wire? You can't talk about it. Like, what's what's happening? Any any new news? Uh, well, I would say the big news that Paul and I are excited about is that there is an expansion occurring right now at our creamery that is including the addition of a blue cheese aging room. Wow, wow, wow! Yeah, so dudes, co- blue cheese, I love it. Yeah, so I mean, currently. Uh, all the blue cheese that Yumi sells, uh, we are selecting from other producers that we work with. We're not making it in our creamery. Uh, very recently, they started experimenting with a new cheese called Pixel, um, which if anyone goes to London or Vienna or Switzerland, where Yumi has retail locations, look for this cheese. It's like a tiny little soft ripened sheep's milk square cheese that's covered in blue mold. 
damn, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, but that's something that you eat at like three weeks, you know. So it's oh, not yeah, it's something not that we're here. not likely to ever see over here. Okay, contraband um, cheese, not but happening that's, here. That's our first, that's like, I guess, as far as I'm aware, that's our first blue cheese that we've produced at our creamery. Um, but once once the expansion is finished and the blue room is done, then I think there's definitely going to be some experimentation going on. So um, our creamery is managed by Mike's dad and his brother. It's, it's really a very in-the-family operation. Family business. Definitely. So yeah. you know all of them. Have you gone there for Christmas yet, guys? Are no, you, uh, we have not done Christmas what's a di- What's a dinner like at that house? Is it? Have you uh, done dinner? Tons a, of cheese and meat. It's a very long table. It's a very, very long, long table. Okay. You're gonna eat. You're gonna eat a lot of cheese. You're gonna eat a lot of meat. I mean, especially this time of year, uh, the amount of raclette that's consumed, I think most Americans would think would you know clog every artery. We'd keel it's over. Crazy. It's you know, amazing. Because raclette is big now. Raclette I mean, is big. I feel like everyone has a raclette machine, at least in my movie magic mind. Um, <laughs> It, do you guys get hip up for raclette style cheese often? Do you have cheese oh, that yeah. you sell for as a raclette has been it's been a really good one for us. It's been a really good way for us to to get into get into new markets. Because um, one one other thing that's a little more unusual about Yumi is that we will add flavorings to our cheeses. <gasps> what? Yeah, especially when it comes to raclette. I didn't know that was allowed. I know. I know. I That's know. It's a faux pas to Sam. I know, and it used to be for me. Um, but then you know, oh, you've grown so much, Sam. I'm so well, proud you of know, you. Well, you know, when when you when you experience the, like the true Swiss raclette culture, which is you know, for those of you who are not aware, the real raclette is just uh, melting it over boiled new potatoes. That's about as traditional as it gets. Spit the truth, Sam. So why wouldn't you want to add some like you know some peppercorns, some herbs, like? Make things a little interesting. Some chili peppers, you know? Like, it makes it more fun. It makes it, like, you know... Spice it up. Yeah, spice it up. Exactly. So I'm all about it now. Good. Yeah. Wow, damn. You have turned a corner since I knew you. I have turned a corner. Uh, I don't know. Almost a decade ago. So props. Yeah. I'm I'm real proud of you. Yeah, thanks so much. Um. (laughs) You know, we all got to grow. We all got to grow. That's that's like all the cheese industry. Paul, yes. (laughs) There's a time and place. Ah. (laughs) Maybe not in your 18-month-old Alpine cheese, but... Right, yes. I don't think we'll be throwing any... You don't have cumin seeds in that thing? Not yet. There's no wasabi paste in never, that thing? Never say never. Oh, okay. Never say never. That's true. Everyone needs to have a... Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, that's So you guys, I'm trying to think. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I'm not even going to mention the new tattoo that Sam got the other day. Uh, from a fellow cheese homie, Ryan Scrablack of Food Matters Again. Oh, if, you, if y'all need a tattoo, hit up Ryan. And I guess you guys, since you know the cheesemonger scene and the, the cheese scene very well, are there any, uh, besides, we're talking about Yumi, and there's a lot of love for that. Is there any new cheesemakers on the European scene, the American scene that you guys are digging right now? You know, I like to talk, you know, it's almost like a music thing. Like, who do you dig right now? Like, who's an inspiration to you guys right now, influencing you right now? Mm. business model or uh, cheese itself? I mean, well, I'm sure they've been getting plenty of shout-outs, but, you know, my very, very good friend Kate Turcott, uh, who was my RA at the University of Vermont when I was a delinquent, and I actually dropped out of school that semester and uh, was just, you know, a deadbeat 19-year-old looking for a job on a farm. And Kate was the opposite. She was, uh, you know... She was doing her bachelor's of science. She was an RA, and she had two di- two jobs on top of all of that. One of which was as a cheesemaker at Shelburne Farms, and I bumped into her at a potluck. This is, you know, like 
going back 10, 11 years, bumped into her at a potluck over the summer and, and just said, hey, Kate, Shelburne Farms hiring right now? And God knows why, Kate pulled some strings because they were hiring an assistant cheesemaker and uh, apparently received like hundreds of applications to be a cheesemaker at Shelburne Farms. And she somehow pulled some strings to get me that job. And the rest is history. And we were, we've remained close friends to this day. Um, and so Kate and her husband, Zach, very recently, um, they, they've essentially inherited the OG farmhouse Vermont cheesemaker. So Orb Weaver, Orb Weaver Farm. Uh, they started out in the early 80s, just two women who have been running it since the early 80s. They did cheese with five cows in the wintertime and then growing vegetables in the summertime. And they're, you know, if you really have to go to Vermont to know this cheese, the Orb Weaver Farmhouse, uh, but uh, it's, it's just, it's a traditional, like, Colby farmhouse-style cheese. They do a wax version and a natural rind version. I'm dying to try it. You got to get up there. You got to go up there and try it. Got to get to the Vmont. Yeah. And uh. so Marjorie and Marion, you know, after doing it for, what, almost 40 years, uh, decided it was, they were ready to retire from cheesemaking. They're actually still running their vegetable operation. Get out of Dodge. Um, but it's a lighter fare. Yeah. So, so now they, so Marjorie and Marion still op- own and operate Orb Weaver Farm. And then they've sold the cheese business to Kate and Zach, who are operating it as Orb Weaver Creamery. And so they're continuing to make these cheeses, the Orb Weaver Farmhouse cheeses. But then uh, Kate is a very prolific cheesemaker, uh, especially with some help from, uh, from a fellow cheesemaker friend, Vito Forte. Um, they've developed some pretty cool new cheeses. That FYI, people. Vito, we're coming for you. I hope you listen to this episode. We're going to get you on this thing one day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's going to be a You're good old time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get you to call in. We're gonna get you, uh, we're going to get you out here. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, as far as new American cheesemakers on the scene, or believe your creamery, mm-hmm. heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those new ones that I saw that I was like, oh, hot damn. I like, it's also I just, like where it's, we're going here. You know, in this day and age, it's it's really just very heartwarming and very beautiful to see uh, a really amazing, really traditional small-scale operation uh, get passed down to a new generation, especially when there's no family in, uh, involvement, you know. Because um, it would have been, I mean, for someone like me, it would have been a tragedy to see Orb Weaver close their doors. I, I agree. The romance is there. Kate's an awesome cheesemaker. I'm glad to see uh, an authentic artisanal American cheese still being done the way it should be done. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, oh, Paul, were you going to pitch in? Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, like, that's, that's sort of why it's so important for us as an industry to grow the market, to expand opportunities, to really make it possible for farms like or Weaver to continue and also just um, get more people interested in cheese and cheese that's made in that way, in that traditional, um, not necessarily old-fashioned way, but in that traditional respecting the land the quality of the of the product sort of way um and i think yumi's definitely on that line as well and uh of course you know kate and zach are the best so yeah Yeah. well i just want to say on that note paul that was really beautiful so i think (laughs) i want to i want to end it on a on a super sweet positive note on this first show um i want to say thank you to you guys you have been amazing um, what's your handle now on Instagram, by the way? Oh my gosh, yes. Wait, do you mind if I give some shameless wait, plugs? Wait, right there, now? were you going to tell me some new information, Sam? <laughs> yes, yes. Hot I damn. Oh my okay, God. I, I almost would have forgotten if you had not asked. Um, See, I know you too well. So, you know, 
we've we've been Yumi has been going since the end of uh, 2017 here in the United States, um, and we have been absent on social media and the internet. Somewhat on purpose. Somewhat on purpose. You know, we wanted to really get our feet on the ground, get our foot in the door. Uh, you know, before taking on, you know, that's like another full-time job, just running an Instagram account. Um, but we have launched uh, a new Instagram account. Bow, 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 bow. We have one post. Check it out. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. At Yumi.Cheese. Now, Yumi, just so you all know, it's spelled J as in jump, U as in under, wow. me, M as in me, I as in igloo. There we Yumi. go. Cheese. J-U-M-I <laughs> dot cheese. That's the new Instagram handle for Check them. it out. Uh, you know, we are, um, we are uh, as of, you know, in kind of spring, I guess, spring of 2019, we moved into a little storefront space uh, in Bushwick uh, that we are using as our office. Um, but we hope to do some pop-ups there, you know, maybe do some raclette events in the wintertime. So please check our Instagram for I more better, information. I better get an invite on that one. Uh, we'll see. Oh, damn. Just check, check the Instagram. Yo. You will be getting an invite, though, Kara, to uh, we will be throwing a little friends and family party next month. So we just want to bring all of our our cheese fam uh, into the building to celebrate with us that we that we've made it this far. Um, so, you know, expect to hear from us about that. And uh, we have some neighbors up the block, BKE Kombucha. Uh, they're pretty cool. And uh, if you guys check out their Instagram, they've got some info on a, a cool party they're throwing on Friday night. Um, so they're going to be doing natural wines and vinyl house music. And, and we will be providing a serious cheese platter for that. Ooh, I like that. So check that out Friday, January 17th, if you're a local to New York City. And then finally, if you want to come say hi to us uh, next week on Thursday, January 23rd, at the Brooklyn Cider House right across the street from our office, we will be scraping raclette from 6 to 10 p.m. So... Come get some uh, some melted raclette from us. Oh my god, that's uh, it's very amazing. I like it. It's gonna be like do the right thing style, where you're tapping on the glass, like, "Hey guy, where's the raclette?" Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, I'm I'm stoked. Okay. Yeah, and come um, knock on our door. You know, we we always got plenty of cheese in the room. You know, so some, come knock on our door anytime. You hungry for cheese in Bushwick? Stop by Yumi. That's right. You heard it here first. All right, guys, thank you very much. My name is Kara Warren. You can follow me at Kara Warren on Instagram. Uh, this is Heritage Radio Network, and you're listening to Cutting the Curd. Uh, have a great evening, and enjoy that cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.